0: Right here, right now, every day. CIUT 89.5, the sound of your city. Hello and welcome to The More The Merrier with Donna G or TMTM with Donna G as you will find me on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Full show today, just enough time to give you a heads up about the second Hot dog screening of Gauker Ulfarsson's Soviet Barbara, the story of Ragnar Kjartansson in Moscow. Screening at Hot H-O-T-D-O-C-S dot C-A on May 4th. And what a trip that documentary is involving the artist, the soap opera Santa Barbara. Yep, that one from the 90s, Putin and the Ukraine. Then join me for a photography lesson with Gun Rose, who has two exhibits in the Scotia Bank Contact Photography. Festival, happening in the month of May. And we'll finish up with Storytelling and Social Activism, a free event on May the 6th, presented by Storytelling Toronto and hosted by the illustrious Sheila Arnold, who's joining us for the second time. And Storytelling Toronto has an amazing roster of events happening. Not just that one, but today's focus is just the one with Sheila. If you can't remember how to get in touch with me, www.ciut.fm. Click on The More The Merrier, Sundays at 1 p.m. All my contact details are there. Enjoy the show. You're listening to CIUT 89.5 FM, The More The Merrier with Donna G. It's my absolute pleasure to welcome a director I'd never interviewed before from Iceland. And as many of you know, I love my Icelandic films. I'm joined by Gauker Ulfarsson to talk about Soviet Barbara, the story of Ragnar Kjartansson in Moscow. Gauker, welcome to CIUT. Welcome to my show.
1: Thank you so much.
0: I'm old enough, by the way, to uh-huh. have to have watched Santa Barbara, the American soap opera. Yeah. Yeah. So, when I saw Soviet Barbara, I was very curious about what is this all about? Santa Barbara <laughs> yeah. is so long ago. Uh-huh. So, um, let's start um with your relationship with Ragnar. Mm-hmm. how did How did you meet? Um, how were you introduced, or were you all have you been friends for a long time?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, so both of us are from Reykjavik, which you may know is a relatively small city in a relatively small country. Mm -hmm. So in Reykjavik, there are approximately about 150,000 people who live here. And we're about the same age and people uh, with uh, the same interests as me and Ragnar, we tend to migrate to each other. So we have like the same pool of friends and we have known about each other for quite a long time. We've both been in bands and in music and and in the art scene, so we've uh, obviously met through friends of ours and uh, a mutual, very good friend of mine. And his uh, told me about what he was planning to do in Moscow about uh, in probably 2018. That's when I started to speak to him about it, and uh, because the first I heard of it, sounded like such a such a um, I don't know what you would think uh, if somebody told you that he was planning to remake uh, one episode a day of the the soap opera, Santa Barbara. Always a new episode each day and remake about 100 episodes, 100 episodes in Russian, in Moscow. So, you know, obviously I, I didn't really grasp the the thought behind the thing. Uh, before I started to uh, dig into what it really meant
0: right because Uh, I would have said why because you know I'm living in Toronto Santa Barbara I I was a fan of the Mm -hmm. Capwells it Mm -hmm. it was years ago Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. when I thought Soviet Barbara no I couldn't understand yeah. Were you were you surprised at how w- popular Santa Barbara was in 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 Russia?
1: Well, uh, I was, but when you when you start to dig into it and you realize uh, why it was so popular, um, there there are many reasons behind it. Uh, probably one of the one of them is definitely it's a soap opera that continues each and every day, a new episode every day, so. It has like a cliffhanger, uh, obviously, the ending of every episode. But being thrown into such a a country like the Soviet Union that was then transfixing into uh, Russia, it's such a strange thing because obviously the Soviet Union, the Soviets, were known for their high culture uh, literature and and music and arts and uh, when the curtain fell and uh, they started showing American uh, TV episodes, this became like so popular well it had a huge impact and a huge effect on the whole nation and it was not only as you would one would imagine, Uh, housewives watching it. It was everyone, it was everybody. Like there's a person in the movie that's describing uh, her father, who was a professor, a science professor. He he was just taken by it. He could not miss a second of any episode. So the cultural (laughs) importance of this show, you know, for us being used to uh, all sorts of TV, We cannot imagine anything like this, because if you're just used to only being uh, fed state-owned TV programs, then, uh, you know, suddenly you have you see this (laughs) this this crazy
0: California lifestyle.
1: Yeah. 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 And and people (laughs) arguing over inheritance and, you know, really, really you know, it's such a brute language and it's such a crazy dialogue often. And it's, I mean, it, it must have been a real shock to people. <laughs> and they just, they just swallowed it. They just loved it.
0: It's like you're communist one week and all yeah. of a sudden there's this capitalist buffet. Super capitalist. <laughs> Super capitalist. Yeah. It's like, at yeah, Santa, and Santa Barbara was was one of those soap operas that were uh, the family was rich. It wasn't about it's not like Coronation Street where you see some average looking people and, you know, people with daily struggles. It's like Santa Barbara was the height of of capitalist society.
1: Yeah. And then at one point in the movie, uh, Ragnar is talking to journalists and he's describing uh, the dialogue and and how brutal it is often and it reminds him of how the way donald trump talks and you know then we show a clip and every sentence from that clip could have been a tweet by donald trump yes it's such a degrading uh, how they talk to each other in such a degrading manner
0: yeah but people loved it yeah now um in watching this film a couple of things Uh um I wasn't expecting to see an Icelandic director that I had interviewed before at the Toronto International Film Festival, Asa Helga Jorliff's daughter. Yeah. She's directing the performances, the yeah. planned performances of Santa Barbara. Mm-hmm. So do you know Asa? Is she part of your your group with uh, with uh, Ragnar?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah no well, she is uh, she's a bit younger than me and Ragnar, so she is uh, the generation behind or after our generation. So no, I've just gotten to know her through this.
0: Okay, That was a surprise. And then mm-hmm. another surprise was the fact that I'd actually seen work by Ragnar here uh-huh. in in Toronto. At yeah. the Art Gallery of Ontario, mm-hmm. the the Summer not. I'm going. Wow! I have all of these things in common with this film that I never knew. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I could really relate to the film. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. What I found about this art installation, and mm-hmm. forgive me, I've forgotten the name of the huge space that he'd taken over. What is the name mm-hmm. of the gallery? Uh,
1: guess two.
0: Yeah guess who he's taken over this whole gallery it's mm-hmm. a beautiful space mm-hmm. and what he's doing is quietly subversive mm-hmm. because he's very aware of the fact that he's in Moscow very mm-hmm. close to the Kremlin mm-hmm. and he's making a political statement yeah for, for those who care to really look and see what's yeah. on the walls and what's going on Yeah, yeah. I remember one of the reporters grilling him, you know, (laughs) saying, "Oh, you're Mm -hmm. not like Pussy Riot," Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and I'm thinking he can't be like Pussy Riot. Yeah, 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 yeah,
1: yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he would end up
0: in jail.
1: Yeah, he would just throw him out of the country immediately. Yes. Yes. Yeah.
0: Tell me, tell me more about the installation and and some of the things that may not have made it into the film because they couldn't.
1: Uh, there were actually no things that uh, could have been in the movie that couldn't be in the movie. Uh, but I think that uh, speaks so much about Ragnar and his way of being an artist is that he really likes to be ambiguous. And I, th- I think uh, that's, that's sort of uh, what he does he, he, he's saying something without screaming it. Yes. I think, uh, yeah, I, but I, I think, but also, is is it's just not one thing. I, the thing with Santa Barbara is so multi-layered. So as, as soon as you start to dig into it, you see all these layers and all these different uh, different themes and
0: uh, because the, the the social lives of the mm-hmm. people have changed drastically. Yeah, um, You can see that in the show and then you contrast it with mm-hmm. the American lifestyle, uh, the fanaticism, the fans of Santa mm-hmm. Barbara and everybody watching it. It's, yeah. it's interesting to see that sudden shift.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Were you surprised by that?
1: I I remember, you know, I, I'm kind of brought, brought up in the same manner as Ragnar. I am also my my parents are uh uh, I'm a culture baby like Ragnar as well and my my parents were socialists/communists slash communists. so uh when he's describing uh the meeting with uh, between Reagan and Gorbachev in Iceland uh I was also rooting for Gorbachev and in my eyes and in in my head he was the good guy uh so I remember uh just being really uh, talking a lot about what went wrong with the with the the experiment in the Soviet Union and whose fault was it and you know this is a discussion that probably everybody that is brought up by these european socialists remembers and and People have talked about probably ever since the the curtain fell, and uh, that you know, I, I mean, even today, my mother, she is still very keen on the idea of communism, and and I, you know, you can't really debate that uh, the idea of it is very beautiful, but it's also extremely naive. So this discussion, I, I was not really surprised by because I remember this you know reading about this thing this shock therapy where they're just ripping apart the communism and installing a new system that's called capitalism so i i you know i was not surprised by it and i knew about it
0: right especially I, because, because you have personal experience yeah, to draw yeah. from
1: yeah and uh, yeah and that's the kind of uh, i tried to tell that story in a short period in in the movie yeah But yeah
0: the mentioning of you know, that's, that's Putin's generation, that's Trump's generation, and yeah. yeah. all of that's happening. That's why yeah. they all speak the same language. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly, exactly.
0: Now, the exhibit itself, mm-hmm. uh, and shooting the exhibit, how long did that process last for
1: you? Uh, we were in Moscow for about 20 days, uh, mm-hmm. for that period of time, and Probably some days before before we left in Iceland, we uh, you know I was I was uh, pleasantly surprised that Ragnar trusted us to uh, let a let a microphone on uh, let him carry a microphone for all that time and let just let us film him go about his day. Yeah, it's uh, very yeah. freeing. Yeah,
0: but at the same time, as a filmmaker, you've mm-hmm. intercut kind of. You know like a a performance piece with this with screens the fact Mm. that moscow Mm -hmm. is there's rumblings between moscow and the ukraine so you have this juxtaposition on screen you know with your four panels of what's going on with ragnar Mm -hmm. and what's going on in the news
1: yeah, outside of the museum, yes. you have this. You have this uh, tension building up, and when you when you look at it uh, through the rear uh, window, you can you know you, it's it's scary to look at Putin inside of the museum, looking at Ragnar's art and knowing that he has his plan is already in fruition. So he's already made a decision what to do and nobody knows of, of it. And uh, he's just there looking at this Icelandic art in this museum. And it's, it's like gives you the creeps.
0: Yeah. And knowing mm-hmm. that in the English translation of something, you can say God, but in yeah. the the Russian, mm-hmm. it's it's the work is called Untitled. One piece yeah, of work yeah. is called Untitled yeah 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 and you know that just speaks to a larger picture of censorship and how how oppressive yeah things things are and it's
1: you know it 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 started slowly the censorship of the art in the museum and and it builds up and gets more and more and you know you can just feel how worn out he is you know after about you know uh, a week in the museum he's just completely worn out and uh These thinking about taking down pieces and it's a it was a very stressful thing.
0: Yes, because, you know, the the piece that's showing um, sexuality, heterosexual heterosexual heterosexuality is taken down and he has to put up, you know, at first it was a blank screen and then they decide to do um, something else. Mm -hmm. While on the other hand, there is a work of two men together. Yeah
1: yes. yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just, you know, that's the beautiful ambiguous Ragnar that you know, it's just as long as nobody notices but I can tell you that these are two men yeah know, make, making love.
0: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Nobody, no if
1: if if somebody would notice and you know all hell would break loose yeah and that's why when that not... go ahead yeah i, I was i was going to say um also the moment in the film where marcia from pussy riot uh visits the exhibition that day was she was there the whole day and ragnar took her through all 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 of the works that day was such a an electric day um You could just feel the tension was, you could could touch it. And every security guard was on alert because she is, of course, uh, the best known political activist in Russia. And there she is just inside of the museum. And uh, so everybody is on guard. And you can see uh, there's one instance where somebody from the museum tries to hijack Ragnar away from her, you know. But he insists of uh, on on being with her in the museum.
0: Yes, I know. I remember, I remember that moment where yeah. she's introduced, and then there's a yeah. pause, like, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, get her out of here. But yeah. he's like, yeah. Yeah. oh, do yeah. you know here she is? And, like, <laughs> yeah. and he keeps talking, and he keeps showing the the yeah. museum and the art, and yeah. um, you know that that takes nerve yeah. <laughs> for him to to have her he- there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and also I remember when we finished the takes for that day, we just took every uh memory card out of the cameras and the audio and just hid them just carefully because I was so sure somebody some of the guards would want to take them and, and destroy them.
0: Of course.
1: Yeah, that's the kind of tension you feel. It's just like and I was You know also just getting all the stuff out of the country was you know i i I was i felt really stressed (laughs) yeah
0: yeah i don't want to give away the ending but um you do a beautiful job of you know the comparison of what's happening outside and then inside this world of Mm -hmm. art where Mm -hmm. art is supposed to be freedom of expression but mm-hmm. they always go after the artist first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. because you know the art the artist holds up society and say here this is mm-hmm. who we are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, Ragnar is is brilliant at what he does, mm-hmm. which is why yeah. when that uh, porter was grilling him, mm-hmm. <laughs> I wanted to say shut mm-hmm. up and just look <laughs> at what he's doing. Yeah. Um, yeah, shut, yeah, shut yeah, up yeah. And, and watch what he's doing because mm-hmm, within mm-hmm. the limits of what he's allowed he's actually mm-hmm. getting away with something
1: yeah absolutely yeah that and that's that that, that speaks of his genius
0: yes mm-hmm. and um he's so multi-talented too yeah yeah um he's he's a artist a mm-hmm. singer and a crooner uh, and I, I know a crooner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much for doing this uh, interview, and thank you so much for your film. I'm sure there must have been times where you're thinking, especially when Putin visits the galley. I'm sure there must have been time where you think, "Get me out of here."
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, as a documentarian uh, filmmaker, uh, there's never such a moment, and uh, you are just. You, you, yeah, yeah, it gets your blood pumping.
0: Gauker, thank you very much. Enjoy your time here in Toronto at Hot Docs. Thank you so much. CIUT 89.5, the sound of your city. Stream CIUT at www.ciut.fm. You're listening to The More, The Merrier with Donna G. And joining me now is photographer Gunn Rose. Gunn is a lucky photographer in the sense that he has two exhibitions coming up in the Contact Photography Festival. He's visiting CIET for the first time and the More the Merrier with Donna G for the first time. So, Gunn, welcome.
2: Uh, thank you so much, Dona G.
0: So, Gun, I'm familiar with your work. I have one of your books, but I just want to backtrack because I don't think I've ever asked you this
2: question.
0: How long have you been a photographer?
2: I would say uh, since the age of eight, when my grandfather gifted me his Kodak Brownie, uh, he noticed that I loved uh, going through the family uh, photo albums, and I asked so many questions. And he was a photographer, so I questioned him about that part of his life. So he finally just one day gifted me that camera, bought me some film, and I started photographing my family, my my pets, my friends, my young life. Life. And uh, honestly, that was, um, yeah, that it became a, um, a, a fascination and a passion.
0: It's not exactly a starter camera, is it?
2: I still have it. Back then, no, that was considered somewhat uh, professional, not top of the line, but well, not everyone had cameras back in the 60s. He picked up on something, and I'm very thankful. Um, that he set me off on a a wonderful photographic uh, exploration and and a career.
0: Did your family get upset with you for always being that kid with the camera taking pictures of them?
2: Not at all. I have wonderful photos. I still have the negatives. Um, I think my approach was fun and therefore, they responded in that way.
0: You Do wonderful portraits of your mother, mm-hmm. um, which I see on on Facebook. Always looking amazing. Did you go to photography school?
2: Not really. I I did a a, a, cor- a course in um, high school. That was my real introduction, a deeper introduction. Uh, into the darkroom using a 35 millimeter camera. And then I did some courses at um, uh, OCAD U. It was then called OCA. But n- no, uh, my, all of my schooling was um, in professional photo labs, uh, learning from the mistakes that other photographers made and, and the successes that photographers achieved that I was privy to working in the in the background
0: who were some of your can I use the word influences or the the people who got you energized the professional people who got you energized who were some of those people
2: I would say uh, way at the very beginning in my uh, let's say uh, around the age of 20 when I started working in photo labs would be my uh, mentor uh, and he also became um, I became his business part partner his name is Jerry Riley we're still good friends to date and he's shooting um, around the world he really opened my mind and eyes to uh, try different cameras to experiment there were some things we thought were mistakes ended up being the the finest result So he was a huge personal influence
0: do you feel threatened at all gun about the proliferation of cameras and everybody thinking they're a photographer?
2: No, not at all. I think it's wonderful that people um, feel that they can play in that medium or uh, with whatever... A gadget they have whether it's a cell phone or a digital point and shoot i photograph for myself it's it's my passion it's um it's a daily practice it has become bad over the last ooh, 10 years easy uh, because i do have a point and shoot that is always with me on me so i'm on my own path you know i i don't see competition I love seeing a refreshing work, whether it's from a six-year-old or a sixty-year-old, uh, with a cell camera or any other uh, camera. But I'm focused on my own, my own path, my own journey, my own exploration.
0: So I have your book Manhattan, 1982. Yes, share what that book is about
2: okay uh in a nutshell in 1980 i started to visit uh new york city i had a friend who moved there so i had a place to stay well in 1980 uh toronto and new york were completely different uh centers new york was pulsating always has been and toronto was just kind of inching its way up to become more interesting whatever there was no comparison so by 1982, I, I was so uh, in love with New York City that I consciously made two trips in that year uh, with as much film as I could uh, afford, and I just photographed on the streets or anywhere I went, any anything, anyone that impressed me. Uh, so that's how that body of work came to be. It And it was once again for myself, I was doing this to um, just capture uh, those moments for myself and maybe share with my friends back in uh, Toronto. There was no plan. I had no idea that 40 years later, I would have a, a book out, um, my second solo show and be selling prints and have so much interest that this was not planned at all.
0: So let's talk about the work what is the process of getting this into book form
2: it took me three years to create that book um, because there's so many steps involved the editing of the images and the um, uh, how uh, the book is going to flow is a whole is one huge aspect so many considerations and the key thing is Who's going to print the book? That took me a long time of hits and uh, and not hits, more misses to fi- until I finally got a hit with a good printing place uh, in Toronto. So I wanted to work closely with the printer so that I had uh, as much influence and approval as possible for my product um, because it meant a lot to me that this book was executed and produced. In the in the best way that I could afford, so that's why it took about three years for the book to ha- get its first um, limited edition print run.
0: So, tell me about the difference between um, a bad print and a good print.
2: Oh, that's a good one. That's a personal thing. It's whether you connect with that print or not. Uh, as a former master color analog printer. Uh, i was relied upon by my clients to make the best print possible with what they had presented me the, the quality of the negative but also their vision too what their vision was for that um, final print image to look like so there are many different things but sometimes when you're experimenting whether uh, it's in the dark room or on the computer creating an image uh, to make a print you might stumble upon something that it was not in your thinking and you're suddenly going wow this works it just sings. it has a mood or a presence or something and so there are many different ways of coming to what is, um, you know, the best print.
0: Can you share an example of that, of something that came out of a print that surprised you?
2: Um, Sure. I mean, there's, um, I think mainly, I guess I have to go back to my darkroom printing days. Uh, There were certain uh, little mistakes that would happen in the darkroom. And I would we uh, it, it would have a certain effect on the image. And I thought, wow, this, I mean, I can't give this to the client, but this is something uh, I know what I did wrong. I'm going to use this for a, a more creative project. So I had a, a few fashion photographer friends, and this is mainly in New York City. And so when we were, they were wanting something different, um, I, sug- I showed them the sample and they went, oh my God, this is incredible. Let's do this uh, for the whole, uh, the entire editorial um, spread. So that happened a couple of times.
0: So what went wrong in those instances?
2: In color, you're, you're in complete blackness. There is no red light. So you're literally, once, once your paper comes out of the bar, uh, you have to be in, in complete blackness sealed there's no light coming in and it could have been where uh I, I the enlarger came on by accident i may have hit the button in the dark and it it, it exposed the uh, put a cast on the paper or i or i didn't uh have the right settings in the enlarger and and um, uh, something else came out uh on the paper on uh, um instead So those are two examples that uh, come to come to mind.
0: Thank you for sharing that. Uh, It gives me insight into the whole process. Now, um, let's talk about paper. Is there a wrong paper and a right paper?
2: No, not at all, because it's a paper. Once again, uh, the paper gives the feeling to the print. So depends on the uh, artist or the client, uh, what feeling do they want? Uh, whether they want a smooth surface, a textured surface. Do they want a high contrast image? Do they want a paper that offers more cool tones? Uh, Like with digital, you can really manipulate any which way. So it's a a whole different ballpark when it comes to uh, working with papers. But traditionally with analog, each paper that was available had a certain quality. And you learned about that. So you would go, "Oh, okay, I want this look, so I'm going to choose this type of Fuji paper or 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 one of these Kodak papers. They had different types of pa- uh, paper available.
0: So now it's that the- things are digital, what yeah. are what are you seeing? What's your process now? What have you had to learn?
2: Well, first of all, uh, for my own work, I've chosen a paper that has some weight. I don't want a flimsy piece of uh, a print that is floppy. I like um, the feeling of almost when you when you got an old black and white print uh, from uh, the from the darkroom a fiber print it had some weight to it so when you held it in your hand you were holding a piece uh, almost like a piece of uh, art if it was an outstanding image so I've chosen a paper that has some weight and has no texture I don't like any um, interference on my image. So it has to be very smooth. So only the image is what you are seeing and there's no um, additional visual stimulation.
0: Okay. So you're part of the Contact Photography uh, exhibition. Tell me how you got into that um, exhibition and and to have two shows.
2: Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good story. Thank you. I moved back to Toronto in 2015. Once I became known here as a fine art photographer, I was encouraged to participate in contact. But to participate in contact, you need a gallery behind you that is going to show uh, your work during contact. So people didn't gallery they didn't know me here, so it was very difficult for me to um, uh, connect with a gallery. This is my first contact shows uh, since I moved back here and last fall i just felt it was time to be a part of contact it's a big it's a big event in the city and it's exciting and it's unpredictable who's going to see your work and all that stuff it's 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 a fun fun festival so uh i started to um approach a few galleries uh, with different series of mine and uh Two of them said yes. So uh, then we were on our on our way as uh, for a commitment.
0: So let's talk about the first one, Ooh. Manhattan 1982, you yeah. call this revisited.
2: So the reason why it's called Manhattan 1982 revisited is because uh, I am showing another selection from that series with these with the um, Akasha Art Project. They were the first gallery to give me a solo show period in Toronto and of that series. So in 2015, when I moved back to Toronto, I had a solo show of Manhattan 1982 uh, at Akasha Art Projects. Uh, They were then on Church Street. They have since uh, moved to Carleton Street and expanded considerably. So it's eight years later, a different... um, curation from that series um, by the uh, owner Sonia Scharf. And so that's why it's called Revisited for two reasons. We're revisiting the series and also the gallery as well.
0: You've really captured with this book and and listeners, I do have the book, so uh, I know where I speak, but you've really captured the 1980s and, you know, that the 1982 look in terms of you know downtown um manhattan do you have a favorite print from your book
2: or favorite favorite image favorite image you know what honestly for me it's uh i think the first one that came to mind is uh, the image that opens the book not the cover but of the very um high styled bald woman walking on fifth avenue Uh, She's not working to walking towards me. She is walking uh, away from me, but I saw what she looked like um, from the front and I'm so mesmerized by her. I didn't even have the thought to pull out my camera to take a photo of her, but I thought I've got to get a a shot of her at least from the back. So there's a personal uh, connection with that image uh, for me. And that's why it also opens up the book, um,
0: there's a photo of you know a woman who uh coincidentally is wearing a t-shirt that says art yes um walking a dog all dressed in white with uh you know a couple of guys behind her one looking into your shot but it just evokes a time for me when uh people dressed like that there was so much freedom of expression did she know you took the photo
2: well back then it was um People were not avoiding my camera. I was very bold. I would just walk up to somebody if I found them fascinating and not even uh, speak with most of um, my subjects. I would just literally pull up my camera and go click and smile. And that was often our exchange. So I think she was aware, but I don't recall any kind of exchange other than maybe a nod or a smile that was the freedom back then we we we've we lost that with cell phone cameras um it's just too saturated in media now and people uh as you know uh are very cautious about being captured by a stranger Mm -hmm. especially
0: Mm -hmm. there is another one uh a woman dressed in black and white with uh wearing black pumps and she's got a cigarette and her bag in front of her yes. what made you take that shot
2: i was just um it's it, that one's on fifth avenue as well and i think i was just sitting on on um this was the evening because they're all at night with flash i was just sitting on the steps and i anyone who walked by who once again caught my my eye I attention I took a photo of them with the flash and I got a great one of her and actually I have a second photo of her where she's going up the steps beside me and I th- I'm pretty sure she was going on her way to her evening um shift work shift so most likely a bartender this was not like a her outfit is not going out to the clubs or whatever No No. Yeah, it's a professional look. Yeah, so either a bartender, a hostess, um, something in a more upscale. um, So I I do remember her going into the door. I don't recall the restaurant or, or venue that she did enter.
0: So, this is Manhattan 1982 uh, revisited. And mm-hmm. where is that taking place during contact for the month of May?
2: So, that will be at Akasha Art Projects, uh, which is in Cabbage Town on Carlton Street.
0: 204D Carlton Street is what um, I have and like to add um, to Perfect. that. You have another one. Tell me about the other project,
2: Gun. So the other one is more um, current work, uh, which I'm very grateful to have the opportunity to show what I've been doing uh, um, the last few years. Because I have quite a few series that I work on as well. Uh, I don't want to be known just for Manhattan 1982, even though I'm very proud of that series and it just keeps on gaining more positive attention. So I'm so thankful to have in the west end of uh, the city a a solo exhibition with um, more current work uh, that I photographed in the last uh, few years. So that's what that show's about. And it's called Accidental Urban Portal. And where is
0: that taking place?
2: That's at the Robert Uh, Kunanai Gallery which is uh there's a street that I call Gallery Row it's on St. Helens Avenue so that's uh Lansdowne and uh College area there are about five five galleries there and they're all wonderful and all each one is unique.
0: So what can people expect from this one in contrast to Manhattan 1982?
2: It's going to be the complete opposite um because this gallery, the Robert Cunanai gallery, it's it's like a cavern. it's it's a massive space and and he is a an artist as well. He's a sculptor he, a, he makes sculptures but does not he doesn't sculpt. Um, so my work is going to be featured amongst his own creations and his work is like walking into another dimension, another, planet it's uh, um, they're very unique conversational pieces so I'm honored to have my work um, being shown within his his world
0: are these larger pieces than the Manhattan work
2: uh, The Prince um, at, at Roberts. Uh, gallery will be 24 by 30 inches. Uh, so a nice, large, uh, impactful size. And um, because they also represent me in their sh- uh, online shop for print sales. So this is a way of showing, um, you know, any interested buyers what the uh, images actually look like large and printed
0: i'd like to know where the shot uh takes place if it's not too if it's not a private location it's the one where you're looking through metal bars and there's a bicycle as well
2: oh wonderful okay so that's on church street and um so this series Why I call it accidental urban portals is because I am seeing something happening in um, reflections, be it a window, some kind of reflective surface. So I am photographing what I sense is happening. So that one with the bicycle looks like it's kind of flying in the air or through bars downstairs. It's... uh, uh, They're all about illusion, but that's all um, just captured. I'm not manipulating it in um, any program on my computer.
0: And okay, because I have a question about another one where it looks like you're photographing a reflection in a piece of glass and you're seeing the city. Or is that or is that a. A piece of photography that has fallen on the ground and you've taken a picture of it.
2: Okay, so that was a, um, uh, like a dark piece of glass somebody had just left on their front lawn. So once again, I saw what was being reflected. Uh, You can see, I think, a house in there. Yeah. Right. And maybe some sky.
0: Yeah. And some trees and then, around. Yeah. Right.
2: So that's what what happens with these. Um, well, I call them magical discoveries. I just spotted and I, I say I can feel something going on there and I just need to uh, to record it. And hopefully I get a good digital file that I can then bring out what it is that I kind of felt was magical happening. That's the best word for it happening there.
0: I love how it's. I love your the the framing, you know, with the roots of the tree, yeah, and then fun. you've got trees in the in the uh, in the reflection. Yeah. But it's also got because it's on the grass. It's got leaves on the piece of glass too. Yeah, so everything kind it. of yeah, and under it, and everything just kind of works. You know, it's like a an an urban nature shot
2: yeah so with what happens is it's like these different planes um all come together Mm -hmm. and they're all fused so that's what creates the illusion like what is really going on here um so this series has always uh, stimulated um, interesting debate from um, people who have seen the images posted, you know, on social media. Something's working there. Whatever you see is good enough for me. I don't need I don't need to correct anyone's interpretation of what what they're picking up from it.
0: A true artist. Uh-huh. So you're having um, artist talk with each of these exhibits. So when is it happening for man? Manhattan 1982, and when is it happening for accidental urban portals?
2: So actually, correction, um, with Akasha, with uh, Manhattan 1982, uh, I I will have an opening uh, where I'll be um, present, which is uh, May 10th uh, that evening, so I won't do an artist talk there, Uh, but I may well have a copy of my book um, uh, there for people to browse through and maybe even order a copy. So with um, the um, Robert Cunanai Gallery, I will do an artist talk. That will be Saturday the 6th at 3 p.m., and I think I'll be doing a second one before the show comes down uh, later that month. We haven't decided the Saturday yet. Well, where can people reach you, Gun? Well, on Instagram, I'm at uh, Gun Seven, so G U N R O Z E Seven.
0: I'm sure the Instagram will link to other places for you. So Gun um, at R O Z E Seven. Yeah, my website.
2: Yeah, my website is. I'm pretty pretty sure that it's still linked to um, my Instagram.
0: Gunrose. Row Seven, thank you for uh, okay. joining me today to talk about your work and the Contact Photography Festival, which runs the month of May. And uh, ScotiabankContactPhoto.com okay. is the website for that.
2: And also, if, if people do go to the uh, Contact website, um, both of my exhibitions are registered there and all the uh, details uh, are there as well.
0: Thank you so much, Gunn.
2: Thank you, Donna G.
0: listening to CIUT 89.5 FM, The More the Merrier with Donna G. I'm happy to welcome back to The More the Merrier and CIUT, um, African-American storyteller, historical character interpretator and uh, workshop leader, and teacher, Sheila Arnold. Sheila, welcome back.
3: So good to be back with you, Donna. So great to be coming back to Toronto. Yay.
0: I know you I know you loved it. When I met up with you the last time at your performance of Sweat, uh, the Zora Neale Hurston, you mentioned how you love Toronto.
3: It hasn't changed, except I now have experienced uh, Toronto colds. <laughs> and um, that is a new experience for me. I have not gotten over that. Uh, so hopefully it'll be just a tad warmer. But uh, it, it, Toronto is an amazing city uh, with, with so, much, so much diversity in so many areas. Uh, it was wonderful to be there. It's great to be able to come back.
0: So you are back for the 44th annual Toronto International Storytelling Festival, Amen. which runs May 5th to 14th. And you are hosting a particular talk called Storytelling and Social Activism. Let's start with where those two come together for you, Sheila.
3: I think one of the things that's most important is when people hear storytelling, they often get in their mind an image of somebody maybe telling a personal story, sitting at a table, maybe someone going to the library and hearing storytelling or something a teacher does in a classroom. But one of the things that's really important is to see how storytelling has a powerful effect in various areas of our life. And one of the most important places that storytelling can be used is uh, in the realm of social justice, in the work of social activism. And that's what this is going to be talking about, how storytelling can open up the doors to um, social justice. Uh, But on this one, uh, social justice, social activism, how storytelling can activate people with inspiration, how it can continue to encourage people who get tired in the fight, and how it can use storytelling to be the descriptor about what is actually happening that needs to change. And fourthly, to be the uh, showing of the example of what the change could look like when it happens.
0: You said a good thing for people who are tired of the fight, storytelling can be used um, to energize. How do you see that manifesting or how have you seen that manifest itself?
3: I think one of the things that I um, am really aware of is that those who have been in the, um, the, the rights, human rights and civil rights uh, movements, one of the things that they often talked about was how do you continue on? And the thing that they did, uh, if I look at the American civil rights movement, is they gathered together in these things that were not moving the walking and protesting. They found times to gather together and, and uh, eat food together and swim and, um, and drink and tell stories and make jokes. And that's how they kept themselves encouraged. It is exhausting to be a social activist. It is exhausting. But it's those stories that can kind of help you get through those times when you are exhausted and they can relift you. They can lift you up with their laughter and their joy, with their reminder of the effect of what you have Mm -hmm. um, and the effect of what you've done. That re-energizes people. um, Because people, and and it also reminds people, you're not going to get it all done. You're not expected to do all the ills of the world. You're doing your part in your place right then. And that's all you can do. And and that's all that's enough. That is enough. It's And, and the stories help remind people of that.
0: And we need those stories now more than ever. You're living in the States. You see it, you're seeing it mm-hmm. more. Uh, we're seeing it more here in Canada too. We're not quite at your level, but things are definitely changing. In terms of, you know, fighting the same battles and uh, not reversing progress that's been made. So you are going to have the pleasure of hosting Storytelling and Social Activism on Saturday, May the 6th at Theatre Pass Mm Marai here in Toronto. And uh, who will you be introducing? Who will be on that stage?
3: Well, I'm very excited about who's on that stage. I, I'm so glad I get to be the host. And just, I'm going to ask a question and just be silent, which is probably not true, but what I really wish I could do. Um, Devin Sandifur, Sandiford, who is uh, in, from Brooklyn, New York, he's coming from there. He's an extraordinary teller. And his stories just. Whew, they they hit your heart in an amazing way. So I can't wait for y'all to meet him. Uh, Monique Diabo, who I haven't met, um, and she does Indigenous culture-based uh, work, work, and we're really excited to be able to have her on board. And I don't know exactly where she's from because I don't have that information, um, but I am excited to have her view made sure to be told. And you all know Itta it, it, Ita Sadu. You all know her. She is your people. Ita <laughs>
0: Aita. Aita, Aita. So thank you.
3: Thank you so much. I mean, I don't have that. So Aita is she is Canada for me. She is. Um, she has helped me so much in learning about what Canada has can do. Uh, and so she's going to be there as well. Uh, this is a powerhouse of people who are using their voice, using their art to make a difference in the world they're in and the world that's around them. You you gotta come. One of the things that they're gonna be talking about when you come, I want people to be there so they can be uh, encouraged and uh, be inspired to be rejuvenated uh, so that they can go back to their own communities. And they also have some direction. They're gonna be given some increased uh, opportunities to look at you know, what can you do with your voice? Because the voice of these three people is already being used in this area of social activism. And they're going to help others see how they can use their voice and begin to give people insight about what your voice can do to make a difference in your community. So you definitely want to come. You definitely want to come and be encouraged by these. People.
0: And it's free and it's all ages. So no need to get a babysitter.
3: Yeah, <laughs> sounds good. That's the first thing, child care. <laughs> but, you know, I, I cannot emphasize to people enough that it is okay to be exhausted. It is okay not to know what to do next, but it's not okay to do nothing. So come yes. and learn how to do something
0: i -hmm. like what you said you don't have to do everything you don't have to take on the whole world because that can be overwhelming you can just do your part and it's enough it's enough i know this visit is going to be short and sweet because um you were not performing uh this time so uh we'll have to get you back (laughs) to to perform because You did such an incredible job with Sweat, and I don't know how you were on stage talking for that long and taking me back with Zora Neale Hurston's, you know, interpretation, your interpretation of her words and taking me to that dusty town. It's like you and John Campbell took me to that dusty town and that woman's story. And uh, I, I thank you so much. And I thank Storytelling Toronto for having you back doing this hosting uh, gig of storytelling and social activism.
3: So much for letting me come and talk to you, Donna. I'm delighted to come back. Thank you for attending Sweat. Um, That was a conversation that I had several conversations after that show just about what the community should do, um, which was interesting. So that's a part of what we're going to be talking about.
0: What's up next for you? Sheila.
3: Oh, well, this is my last tour of this season. So I'll be in New York and then I come to Toronto. Then I go to Kentucky, uh, to Paris, Kentucky, and do a storytelling festival down in Alabama, in Florence, Alabama, for the Shoals Storytelling Festival, back to New York. Then I come home and I'm home for three months. So uh, doing some performances along the way, but really home. And home is a good place to be as we get ready for what's next, uh, as my season starts back up in September and uh, we'll see what's on the schedule, but hoping to do more community conversations, using storytelling to have community conversations. That is what my hope is uh, in the upcoming future.
0: Did not know there was a Paris, Kentucky, uh, finding out (laughs) something new. So are you still doing Artists Standing uh, Stronger Together?
3: Yes, I am. Artists Standing Strong Together is uh, our nonprofit organization that uh, connects artists with resources, and we are always doing online programming. You can check out our website, www.artist.com standingstrongtogether.net and we will see all the amazing work that we're doing um, and hope you come on board and help us to take artists to the next level all around the world literally because we have no borders (laughs) we are online that's how we started that's how we'll stay so we have no building we are here for the world of artists and that's a great thing
0: and I hope people do check out storytellingtoronto.org for all the information about the talks, the workshops, the concerts, everything. They have some international guests that are coming. And Sheila, thank you so much for joining me. And uh, I look forward to our next chat.
3: I do too, Donna. Much hugs to you. You too. Bye bye. Bye, darling. Baju, baju.
0: Baju, baju. I do bad le bad you lay at you bad you. I le, bad you bad you le le you bad you. I do bad you bad you lay at you bad le le, do le I do by le, 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 man, and I do by you.